Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner. I'll be your host. I am the author of The Other Side of Nothing, Hardcore Zen, Don't Be a Jerk, There Is No God and He Is Always With You, Sit Down and Shut Up, and many other fine books about Zen, Buddhism, and other stuff. As I always say, this podcast is sponsored solely by you. Your donations are what support this podcast. And if you want to donate to support this podcast, please go to the URL Hardcore hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main way of making a living, and I really appreciate your support. But as always, this podcast is offered for free, so you don't got to support it if you don't want to support it. All right, and we are up to part five of the podcast about Komyo, about Dogen's essay, Light or Divine Light, or, oh gosh, I've forgotten all the different titles it's given. My teacher called it Brightness, uh, Nishijima, uh, Gudo Nishijima, waf, waf, Gudo Wafu Nishijima Roshi, that's his name. Uh, he titled it Brightness in his translation. And I'm calling it In the Light, because that was the name of an old Led Zeppelin song, and I don't know, it just it was the first thing that came to mind. So, uh, for this part, I'm hoping to try to wind it up. We'll see if we end up going to part six, uh, forgive me, but we'll see if we can wind it up with uh, just one more segment today. And here goes. I'm just going to pick off where where I left pick up where I left off last time. So, and instead of doing what I sometimes do in these podcasts of kind of telling you what the differences are between my translation or my paraphrase, as I'm calling it, and a sort of legitimate translation, I'm just going to let you look those up this time because I think that might get tedious for you as a listener, and it certainly gets a little bit tedious for me to go and look all those up because I can never remember all of them. So I'm just going to barrel through. So uh, luckily for us, I don't have to go back to the previous episode uh, to uh, to sort of fill you in on where we, there's nothing to sort of pick up on. We can just start with the paragraph we're on without having to review anything. So we're just going to jump right into the paragraph that uh, is the next paragraph from the one we left off on last time. Okay, so here we go. Let's just read that paragraph and we'll start talking about it. Here we go. The entire universe is the true and real self, and the true and real self is the entire universe. There is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide from this true and real self. Okay, I will tell you one thing I did. Uh, there was a band back in the old days that Zero Defects, the band I was in, well, the band I still am in, uh, back in the old punk rock days, there was a band we used to play with a lot called The Urban Mutants. And they would cover a song... Gosh, it was an old Motown song called Nowhere to Run. I don't know who uh, was the originators of that song. Maybe somebody can write in and tell me. Anyway, it had this line, Nowhere to run to, baby, nowhere to hide. So I, I threw that into my, uh, my uh, paraphrase of this. So there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide from this true and real self. Dogen actually doesn't say nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, but he does say there's nowhere you can go that is not this true and real self. Okay, here we go. Even if there was a place to escape to, 
It would be through the vital path of bodily emancipation that is the practice of zazen. Now, okay, I'm breaking my rule twice in uh, the first four minutes of this thing. Uh, The vital path of bodily emancipation is a kind of favorite way of Nishijima Roshi of translating shushin no katsuro. A vigorous road of getting the body out is how Nishijima Roshi liked to translate it. I just kind of changed that slightly to vital path of bloody, bloody, bodily emancipation. Uh, It is a funny little phrase. Shushin is, it actually is two Chinese characters, which means depart and body. And put together, they form a, a funny little compound word that that's hard to, it's hard to know what he means. But I'll tell you what I think he means. And then the next one is literally vigorous road. I mean, the the two Chinese characters he he employs here means vigorous and road. So there you go. Now, Nishijima Roshi always interpreted this as meaning zazen. Because zazen is a physical practice. This is something that he liked to to emphasize a lot. And in fact, he kind of emphasized the bodily aspect of Zazen over every other aspect of Zazen, which is something I sort of liked about his way of teaching it. Because a lot of people talk about meditation in in a sort of, well, they, they, it's a spiritual practice, you know, that that's what they like to, to say about it. And by emphasizing the spiritual aspects of meditation, you get this idea that meditation is something you could do any old way. I used to lead classes occasionally at, uh, what was the name of the place? Well, it was called Dharma Punks at first, and then they changed the name to, I guess, against the stream is what they called it. Anyway, it doesn't matter that much. But it was Noah Levine's place, and I think maybe it still is in business as against the stream, but Noah's not part of it. I don't know the whole story there. But anyway, I used to lead uh, or give talks there occasionally uh, when they were in Hollywood, and... I when, I when I give talks at somebody else's place, I try to just kind of when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So whatever they're doing, I just kind of deal with it. So I don't deal with it like they're my group. But I would be kind of slightly aghast at what I would see there because they would, they would want to do a 20 or 30 minute meditation before the talk, which I like. But there, what they would do, what a lot of people there would do that they would call meditation was just so sloppy to me. Yeah, I, I, I would say probably most of the people in the room would be doing something similar to zazen. They would be sitting on a cushion and kind of holding their body straight. And maybe they would get a kind of a funny mudra with their hands, and that's fine. But they'd be sitting up straight and kind of doing a, a good physical posture. But there always be like 10 or 15 people at the back of the room just kind of sloppily laying down or leaning on something or just kind of draped across their chairs. And I'd be going, oh, that's not right. Uh, Because the way I learned it, the way I learned from my teacher, was that Zazen is as much a bodily, physical 
practice as a mental practice. So the idea is that mind and body are one unit that function together. They're not two separate things. So you don't do this practice to, I don't know, ignoring your body and trying to concentrate on your mind. You do a bodily practice of balance which is supposed to make your mind also balanced. And and you can see this in kind of extreme places. If you're ever on a on a boat that's rocking a lot, you can feel your mental condition goes all off balance because your bodily condition is all off balance. Or if you're in a plane that's hitting turbulence, you get really mentally perturbed by that. So if you hold a posture that's extremely balanced and stable, it helps your mind become balanced and stable. And that's what Zazen is about. Zazen is becoming physically balanced so that your mind also becomes balanced along with your body. And so this is what uh, Dogen is talking about, the Shushin no Katsuro, the vigorous road of getting the body out. And in my paraphrase, I explicitly say that is the practice of zazen i don't believe i'd have to go look it up and like i said i'm not i'm not holding the standard translation in front of me like i often do uh, today uh, i don't believe he actually says zazen in in his in his version he just says shushin no katsuro and implies zazen but i i'm pretty sure that's what he's talking about i don't i, I can't dig him up and ask him but i'm pretty sure okay let's continue on he says this present body with its bones and its skull is the form and image of the entire universe. The entire universe that we practice in Buddhism is the skull, the physical body, the skin, the flesh, the bones, and the marrow. So again, he's pointing to the bodily practice. And this idea that the body is the form and image of the entire universe, it sort of reminds me of of, uh, you know, that Christian idea where God says, Let, let's make man in our own image and God being the universe, you know, so we make man in the image of the universe. To be honest, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how he means this. I mean, I get an intuitive sense of this, uh, but I don't know, you know, quite what this is. This may be kind of an advanced understanding of things. And I tend to trust Dogen. When he says something that I don't understand, my feeling is everything that Dogen said that I didn't understand in the past has turned out to be correct. So when he still says things that I still don't understand, I think, okay, there must be something to it. So I just take it for the time being as another indication that we are practicing a bodily practice. We are we are working on a bodily practice within our own human body. And I accept that at some level he has an understanding that our body is somehow a mirror of the universe. And how that works, you know, once I figure it out, I'll tell you. Okay. Now... He's going to tell us a story next. So here's the story he tells us. A long time ago, there was a great Zen master named Unmon. One day he said to his monks, 
Every person totally possesses the light. When you look for it, you can't see it. It's totally obscured by darkness. Just what is this light that's present in everyone? The monks didn't respond. Unman spoke for them, saying, The meditation hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the three temple gates. So, of course, Unman is speaking this in a Zen temple, so he's describing the Zen temple. And here's uh, his continuation. Here's what he says, or here's Dogen's commentary on it. He says, Dogen says, Unman wasn't saying that the light will appear in the future, like someday you'll realize it. He wasn't saying it was there in the past, like you had it once, but now you lost it. He wasn't saying someone else can show it to you or give it to you. He was saying that everybody has it naturally right now, including you. This is really important to understand. So I added a little bit. God, I'm doing all the things I said I wouldn't do. I added a little bit. He, Dogen just kind of says uh, it, it won't. He's not saying the light will appear in the future. He's not saying it was there in the past. He wasn't saying someone else can show it to you. Uh, I added a few words there. But again, we're back to this idea of the light is something that we all have right now, and it's not something we are reaching for. This is kind of related to some of the things I've been studying, uh, his uh, Dogen's writings about Buddha nature. And he, the idea of Buddha nature in Dogen's time was often that Buddha nature was something that we will work on and realize in the future. And Dogen, in his essay on Buddha nature, uh, says, no, it's not something that you get in the future. It's something that you have right now. And Dogen is saying this again about the light. So the light and Buddha nature are pretty much the same thing. So let's just keep going on. It's like Unmon was bringing together a hundred thousand Unmons and having them speak all at once with one voice from one mouth saying, every person totally possesses the light. Unmon didn't drag these words up out of himself. The light of every human being gathered itself together and spoke these words. Every person totally possesses the light, that's uh, in quotes, means all of humanity is naturally the light. The light means each and every human being. The light gathers up the light and makes it into subject and object. So again, he's using, he's, he keeps working on describing what he means by using this word light. And, you know, we don't have to worry that light is the is his chosen metaphor here too much. I, I kind of like the fact that he's using light as as, as metaphor. And I'm kind of fascinated, as I said in earlier podcasts, by the fact that he chose light at his, as his metaphor for this, this something. But he chooses a lot of metaphors for this. As I just said a few minutes ago, a few, maybe less than a minute ago, Buddha nature is one of the other things that he calls it. He also calls it inmo, the ineffable. So he calls this something, this whatever it is, a lot of different names throughout his writings. But he's saying that this is something everybody has. And when he says Unmon is bringing together a thousand, hundred thousand Unmons and the light of every human being gathered itself together and spoke these words, this is an interesting 
phenomenon. And it's, it's something... It's something I've encountered, and I'm I'm kind of reluctant to to speak about this, but you know I I know there's you know a bunch of people out here out there who are going to listen to this later on, but right now as I'm recording it, I'm just alone in my kitchen, so I can feel a little bit free alone in my kitchen to say things that I might not say if there was somebody sitting in front of me, which is kind of a weird way to do these podcasts, but it gives me a little bit of freedom that I might not have if I was uh, doing this in front of an audience. So I'll say something that I might not say in front of an audience, which it, even though I'm saying in front of a, an audience eventually, which is that I've kind of experienced this myself. It, it happens sometimes uh, when giving a talk. There are times when the talk seems to kind of come out of something. And I know that it's my voice box that's uh, operating in my tongue and my teeth and my larynx and larynx is the same as voice box, whatever. You know, it's coming out of me, but it doesn't uh, seem the same as words that that Brad thinks of and Brad says. You know, there are there's a category of words and, and things that Brad thinks of and Brad says, and I know what those are. But sometimes when I'm giving a talk about Zen in front of an audience, another category of things starts to, to come out of my mouth. And that's an interesting sort of phenomenon that I... You know, I don't like to put too much on it. And it doesn't happen every time. And I really like it when I get a good audience that allows that to happen. Because the audience has to be with me for that to happen. So if you're ever in an audience listening to a talk of mine, you know, please try to allow it to happen. I really appreciate that. So, moving right along, let's get back to Dogen. He says, Maybe it's better to say that the light totally possesses each human being. The light naturally is each human being. Each human being naturally possesses each human being. Each moment of light possesses each moment of light. Each moment of existence totally possesses each moment of existence, and the existence of each moment totally possesses the existence of each moment of totality. Okay, this is one of these things where Dogen takes a few Chinese characters and kind of messes around with them, putting them in different order and, and stuff. He does this a lot in his writings uh, to, to make new compounds out of a single phrase. But uh, So it's interesting. So he's, he's trying to, to say, he's trying to make the most thorough statement he can based on one single statement. So I think, I think we get that. Let's keep going. So remember, folks, the light that each person totally possesses is the realized person, and the light is the individual person that each moment of light totally possesses. So that's you and me. So the light 
is us. So he's he's not talking about something abstract. This is one thing I, I love about Dogen. This is the thing that attracts me to Zen, that makes Zen better than the sort of religions that I tried to get into before. You know, they would say that you uh, ascend to heaven when you die and become an angel or, or something like that. And I, I couldn't get into that. What Dogen is talking about is right here and right now, immediate. So each person, you and me, this is what he's talking about, this light. And it's not something that happens in the future or that happened in the past or that we're trying to recover or that we're going for or that we're practicing and we're trying to realize, really. Uh, Even that idea of, of striving to realize it is something extra. It is the condition that we are in at this moment right now. That's what he's trying to talk about. So let's keep moving on. Dogen next says... Now let's ask Unmon something. What do you mean by each person? And what do you mean by light? Because Unmon himself asked, just what is this light? This is the big question. When the mysterious way is put into words like this, each person is the light itself. And I made a little note to myself that uh, I wrote uh, the uh, the quotation as it appears in the Nishijima Cross version is when the ineffable way arrives. And it's a use of this word inmo, which Dogen loved. He has a whole chapter of Shobo Genzo called Inmo, and I wrote extensively about Inmo in, oh God, was it Sit Down and Shut Up or Don't Be a Jerk or one of my Dogen books? I don't remember which one, but I wrote a lot about it. And since I wrote so much about Inmo, I get all kinds of emails from people about Inmo all the time. And Inmo is just... The way Nishijima Roshi explained it was it was an old Chinese word which has basically fallen out of use. I had a Chinese friend in Japan who I asked about it, and he'd never heard the word before. Uh, so it's a, it's an old word, and Chinese people don't seem to recognize it. At least the guy I talked to didn't know what it was. But it just meant it or something. And a lot of people these days, because it's kind of passed into being a word that only Buddhists use anymore, uh, like to translate it as suchness or thusness. And Nishijima Roshi didn't like translating it with any of those kind of fancy special Buddha, Buddha words, like special Buddhist words. He just translated it as it, trying to give it more of a sense of what it meant in Dogen's time and the way Dogen was using it. It, it, So it's more like something or the ineffable. When when he wanted to get fancy, Nishijima Roshi would would say it means the ineffable. So I made it in my little translation as the mysterious way, uh, inmo do. Do is way. Do is like uh, do is like the Japanese word for street, and it's not the thing that Homer says. Well, it is the thing that Homer says in The Simpsons, but it's it's uh, it's not that. It's it, dori. Do is is the name for street. Michi or or way. If you know Japanese, that these 
which characters can be pronounced multiple ways. So that's uh, what he's saying. Each person is the light itself. So he's basically saying the same thing that he just said a couple of minutes ago. Okay, moving right along. He next says, The monks didn't respond, says the story. Although they had a lot of ways to express the truth, they replied by remaining silent. This is the right Dharma eye treasury and the fine mind of nirvana that is authentically transmitted by the Buddhist ancestors. And so if you're a nerd, you might recognize what he's doing there. It's like one of those things, you know, sometimes in movies where a character in the movie mentions the title of the movie. Uh, that's what he's doing there. Uh, he, the right Dharma eye treasury is Shobo Genzo. So right here in the middle of Shobo Genzo, he is saying Shobo Genzo. Uh, and so the, the entire phrase is uh, right Dharma eye treasury and fine mind of fine mind of Nirvana. Please excuse Ziggy. He's getting a little bit rambunctious back in the background. You can probably hear. Oh, that's my dog. Uh, you might bark a little bit. But we're going to continue podcasting even so. Okay, here is uh, here's what Dogen says next. Unmon, the story goes, spoke for them, that is, spoke for the monks. The meditation hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the three temple gates. So he answered for them. They didn't answer, and he answered for them. Now, Dogen says they didn't answer because they answered with silence. So he doesn't want us to think of them as being just kind of shy and not knowing what to say. He's saying they, they gave the, the noble Buddhist silence answer. You know, he might be he might be making the story a little bit better than it really was. Maybe they just didn't know what to say. But anyway, uh, Unmon spoke, Unmon the teacher spoke for them. And uh, Dogen comments on what Unmon says by saying, This means that Unmon spoke for Unmon. Unmon spoke for the monks. Unmon spoke for the light. And Unmon spoke for the meditation hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the three temple gates. But what the heck did Unmon mean by the meditation hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the three temple gates? Well, that's what we all want to know, and I'm glad Dogen is asking, but do you think he's going to give us a straightforward answer? If you do, you don't know Dogen, but let's see what his answer is. Well, you know, I shouldn't say it like that. I think Dogen always gives the most straightforward answers he can possibly give, but sometimes what he's talking about doesn't lend itself to what we normally think of as straightforward answers. So let's see what his answer is. He says, We shouldn't confuse subject and object and call the assembly and each person in it, quote, the meditation hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the three temple gates, end quote. How many meditation halls, Buddha halls, kitchens, and three temple gates are there? Subjectively, he says, they may be different for each person who sees them. Objectively, they are the same. So he's playing on that. This is something that my teacher Nishijima Roshi liked to talk about the difference between a subjective and an objective point of view and saying that ultimately 
subjective and objective are the same thing, but we see them differently. So subjectively, they may be different for each person who sees them. Objectively, they're the same, but that doesn't mean they are truly the same or truly different. They are both different and the same at the same time. This is one of the famous Zen contradictions. We we understand that things can be two opposing ways at the same time. So let's get back into what Dogen says. I mean, should we see them as Unmon? Should we see them as the legendary seven Buddhas who supposedly preceded Shakyamuni? So there's supposedly... In, in Buddhism, every Buddha is supposed to have a teacher, and because Shakyamuni doesn't historically have a teacher as such, they invented seven legendary Buddhas who preceded Shakyamuni. Of course, there should be an infinite number, because everyone should have one who preceded him, but they only, they only have seven, so that's what he's talking about. Uh, Dogen goes on, should we see them as the 28 Buddhist ancestors in India from Shakyamuni to Bodhidharma? Should we see them as the first six Chinese Buddhist ancestors from Bodhidharma to Huainang, or as a fist or a nose? Although the meditation hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the three temple gates are Buddhist ancestors, they also include each individual person. Therefore, Therefore, excuse me, they are beyond each individual person. Because they are real, they are beyond the artificial categories of subject and object. So there we go with that subject and object again. And by the way, I'm kind of helping you out. In If you read the original text, it, it just kind of says, should we see them as the seven? Should we see them as the 28? Should we see them as six and whatever? So he's, he's kind of vague and you have to be able to decode that stuff. And because Nishijima Roshi was kind enough with my cross to leave footnotes that decode that stuff. I just incorporated that stuff into the text so you can understand what, what he's talking about. So you're welcome. Um, so he says they are beyond, each, because they include each individual person, they are beyond each individual person. So this is, this is one of those things that, that he says. And to me, I always think these things are, are easy to understand, but maybe because I've been working with them so long, that's why they seem easy to me. The idea is you are an individual person. And because you're an individual person, you are beyond being an individual person. Does that make sense? I, I wish I could ask you. But uh, it is, it, you are both an individual person and then individual person doesn't encompass all that you are, right? So that's what he means there. Because they are real, they are beyond the artificial categories of subject and object. So we think subject and object are real categories. We, we think that I am the subject and everything else in the universe is the object. I think we all think that. But Dogen is saying that's artificial. Uh, Dogen is always saying that's artificial. So let's continue and see what else he says. 
He says, there are examples of meditation halls where no Buddhist practice takes place, and there are examples of people who have realized the true state of awakening without ever setting foot in a Buddhist temple. Now that, I can't remember exactly how the original phrase in Japanese goes, but I remember it's kind of cryptic and hard to understand, and that I looked at the footnote that Nishijima Roshi had put, and his footnote explained it as basically what I said. I just kind of paraphrased his footnote there. So, you know, if you find a different translation that interprets that line differently, okay, that's fine. I just, uh, I I liked Nishijima Roshi's interpretation of it because I thought it was pretty straightforward. So, next up, he has one of these things, Dogen has one of these things where he takes a Chinese phrase and scrambles it up. Uh, he takes a, let's see, it's a, it's a three-character phrase, but then he adds a fourth character. But here's what I did with it. So first I'll tell you what I did with it. There are Buddhas who have light. There are Buddhas without light. There is light without Buddhas. There is light that has Buddhas. And Nishijima and Cross give you, there are Buddhas who have light, there are luminate Buddhas who are without, there is the light of Buddha in being without, and there is the light of Buddha which is existence. Tanahashi gives you, Buddha of being light, Buddha of no light, no Buddha light, and being Buddha light, which is pretty close to a literal a literal translation. So as I kind of, if you've heard me talk about this before, you've heard me say that if you want a really literal translation of Shobo Genzo, go for the Nishijima cross version, because that's what he tends to do is like give you no interpretation at all, just give you exactly what the text says in Japanese. In this case, uh, it's Nishijima and Cross who interpret it slightly, and Tanahashi, who's usually fairly interpretive, actually gives you the little literal translation. So that's that's what it you know. If you looked at the Japanese phrasing, that's exactly what it says. And just to round things up, here's what Hubert Nierman in the Shasta Abbey translation uh, gives us. He gives us. There are Buddhas who have luminosity, and there are Buddhas who do not have luminosity. There is a luminosity without Buddha, and there is a luminosity with Buddha. Now, if you want me to explain what that means, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm not sure what this means. Just to, you know, be perfectly honest, and as I've said, I think I've said it on this very podcast in earlier episodes, there's a kind of a, a tendency I've seen among translators of Dogen to kind of try to brush over the fact that we don't always understand everything Dogen says. Well, I like to point it out. I don't understand what he's saying here. Maybe one of these days I'll get it, but I, I, I really don't know um, what he's getting at here. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. Let's keep moving on. Zen master Seppo Gisan once said, I met you all in front of the monk's hall. And this is a reference. This isn't just randomly here. This is a reference to some old poem, which I've totally forgotten now, uh, that that he's, he's kind of uh, pulling out. And in the Nishijima cross version, it tells you what the poem is. 
But I don't think it really matters that much because what what happens next kind of doesn't relate that much to the poem. But just in case you think it's really weird that he would say, I met you in front of the monk's hall, it's it's a reference to an old poem. It's like he's quoting a song lyric, like he's quoting that old Eagles song that you heard on the radio or something. You know, so he's not just saying this randomly. Um, but that's that's... That's what he's saying. Master Seppo Gisan once said, I met you in front of the, the monk's hall. And uh, Dogen says that this was a time when Seppo's whole body was in the eye. In other words, it was a moment when he really got it. It was a moment when Seppo understood Seppo and the monk's hall understood the monk's hall. And now he tells us the story, Dogen tells us the story that he's going to use to wind up this whole thing. So this is, this is his big ending story and, well... I'll let you judge. <laughs> I was going to say something about it, but I'll let you judge. Later on, Seppo's student, Hohuku, was talking to his other, Seppo's other student, Gako, about this. Hohuku said, let's forget about the monk's hall for a minute. How can we get to the best place there is? Just then, Gako ran back to the abbot's quarters, and Hofuku went straight to the monk's hall. This is an example of the real action in the state of the truth. Now, I would assume that this meant that Gakko started off in the abbot's quarter and Hofuku started off in the monk's hall. So they're just going back to where they naturally sort of belong. That's that's how I interpret this. Um, and be, because of the next line. Okay, here's the next line. Great master Shino of Jizoin Temple said, the cook is going into the kitchen. This is a matter that transcends even the time before the creation of the universe. The end. <laughs> That's the end. And then he adds this that colophon, which I believe I talked about in the first episode. I hope I talked about it in the first episode because I don't want to talk about it now. Actually, it's good to talk. I will talk about it a little bit now because rain has been dripping right now. And this talk was given during the rain. And Dogen mentions it. He says... Uh, he says, this talk was given to the monks on the evening of June 2nd, 1243. It was the rainy season and heavy rain was dripping from the eaves of the temple, just as it's dripping from the eaves of my house right now as I make this podcast. What is the light? The monks who were listening were pierced by Unmon's words. So maybe you were pierced by Unmon's words. But anyway... That last line, the cook is going into the kitchen. This is a matter that trans even, transcends even the time before the creation of the universe. This means that people just doing the ordinary thing that they ought to be doing, the thing that they ordinarily do, the cook going into the kitchen, for example, that's what cooks do, that is a matter that transcends even the time before the creation of the universe. So Dogen is trying to say that the ordinary thing, that the, the regular old thing that you do just now is the greatest thing, is, is the most cosmic thing of all. So this is something that Dogen hammers away at again and again and again in his writings that what we are looking for, what we are trying to realize with this practice is not some kind of extraordinary thing. We're not looking for this kind of special experience that psh, 
blasts us off into the cosmos and gives us, you know, tremendous feeling of bliss and, uh, you know, far outness or a kind of a drug-induced hallucinatory experience or, or, or what people think of as an enlightenment experience that sort of, you know, is like, whoa, I had the enlightenment experience. It's great. He's talking about the ordinary everyday experience as being this is the thing. This is the greatest thing. This is what he's trying to to point out over and over and over again. So if you get anything out of anything that Dogen says, that's what he wants you to take away from it. That this experience you're having right now, just listening to this little old podcast or whatever it is you're doing, this moment right now, this is it. This is the big moment. There's no other big moment than this. This is the moment of creation of the universe. Boom, right here. That's it. That's what he's saying. So there you go. So we got through it. That is the end of Komyo, and I hope you enjoyed it. I got to go take care of Ziggy. I don't know if you've been hearing his little paws uh, pacing around uh, this whole uh, episode. Uh, you probably have. I don't think I'm going to be able to... to uh, get rid of that noise from the from the podcast when I go and do the little editing. But uh, I got to go take care of him. So I'm going to cut it off right now. Remember, if you have questions about this podcast, you can always write to me at bw at hardcorezen.info. I'd love to get your questions and try to answer them. I'd like to hear from people who are listening to this. And by the way, if you are taking notes on this podcast, I would love to see your notes, even if you have to just, uh, if you've been jotting them down on pieces of paper, if you want to take a picture of them and send me JPEGs because I'm using this podcast as fodder for the book that I'm working on. I'm going to try to put uh, a lot of this stuff about Komyo into uh, this new book that I'm writing. And I realized I generated a lot of content by just talking it through in this podcast. And a lot of this has been improvised. So in order to remember what I've written, I have to go back and listen to it. And I hate listening to my own words droning on. I, I, I hope other people enjoy listening to me more than I enjoy listening to me. I think that's just how it is, you know. I'm sure I, I, I love the band Teenage Fan Club, for example. One of my favorite bands in the world, and I just read this interview with them saying, oh, we never listen to our own records because we, we would rather listen to much better records. And I'm like, you guys make the best records in the world! That's maybe maybe how people feel about me, I suppose. I don't, I don't want to listen to my own podcasts. But I, I do, you know, I stand by them. I think they're good. I just don't want to listen to them. Anyway, if you've been taking notes, send me your notes because I don't want to listen to my uh, own voice. Uh, so there you go. And if you want to support me uh, in other ways, you can always do what I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. You can send a donation to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. You can't actually send the donation there, but there you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts, which are the places you can send a donation. And that's how I I make my money, and that's how I finance these podcasts. So I appreciate your support. But as I said at the beginning, and as I always say, this is offered for free, so you don't got to support me if you don't want to support me. We will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. I'll try to think of something else to do a podcast about for the next one. See you later. Bye. <laughs>